I mean, it's been a beautiful week. But uh, glad to see you here this morning. We're continuing in our series, our seventh series, and we've got to part number four. In week one, we talked about the temptation of greed that comes upon our lives. In week two, we uh, uh, talked um, about anger and how we can control anger in our lives. Last week, we talked about pride, which was pretty tough. And today, we're continuing in that series. And today, we're going to talk about something called sloth or slothfulness, which is a weird word because like, we don't really use that in today's language. But let me, let me ask you a question this morning. How many of you this morning here are nappers? You like love to take a nap. Well, for those of you who have got your hand up, you, just, you don't know what you're missing. Life is great when you take a nap. So for those of you who do take naps, how many of you just take a nap on the couch? You're like, the couch is the place to take a nap. Wow, like not many of you. Trust me, the couch is the best place to take a nap. How many of you like go straight into bed, get under the covers and everything? That's what you call going to bed. That's not a nap, okay? <laughs> going to bed. You take a nap on the couch. You like put some golf on on a Sunday afternoon, just walk forward to sleep. It's wonderful. I'm a napper. I love to nap. My wife is not. She's getting to bed, like put on the covers and like get out six hours later. And then she wonders why she can't sleep at night, you know. But I I love to nap. But, you know, the funny thing is, is that many of us would say or probably have said over the last year, especially you mothers out there, that you would love a day where you could just sit in front of the TV and lounge all day. How many would like a day like that, right? Yeah, especially, yeah, you mothers out there. And, And so we say that. But you know what the funny thing is? Have you ever actually done that? Have you like just sat in front of the TV all day, maybe played some video games for you geeky nerds out there, or you know, you uh, just put some movie like TV after TV, or you just do a marathon of uh, what Real Housewives or something? I mean, that's just torture if you wanted to do that. But, 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 but if you've ever done that, I bet by the end of the day, you feel like the laziest person in the world. You know, I've done it so many times, and I'll be honest, I'm like, I just need a day in front of the TV just to lounge. And by the end of the day, I feel nasty, I feel lazy, feel unproductive, and I feel like I've not had a good day. Have you noticed the more that you lounge, the harder it is to get up from lounging? You know, it's like you sit down, you put a TV show on, and then you know you should get up, but you're like, well, they're playing another episode. You know, it's like, okay, we'll sit down for another 30 minutes. And by the end of the day, all the whole day has gone. Well, the word sloth so often is regarded as one of the seven deadly sins. And sloth is something that tempts us in life. You know, many people define sloth as laziness. And I've always wondered why sloth is one of the seven deadly sins. Because even though laziness is not good, I've always wondered why they grouped it as a deadly sin. You know, laziness, we know laziness is not good. Lazy people, you know, they don't get much done. But why is it defined as a deadly sin? You know, when we put it up with the other deadly sins, we've talked about greed. We've talked about anger. We've talked about pride. Next week, we're going to talk about lust. And that's going to be a great one. Um, and then, we're, you know, we're going to talk about envy as well and gluttony. And I've always wondered why sloth or slothfulness is considered a deadly sin. 
Well, when you start to really understand what sloth is, you start to understand how destroying sloth can be to our lives. I've defined sloth as this. Sloth really can be defined as a spiritual or emotional apathy. Meaning that we're neglecting what God has spoken and we're being physically, emotionally, or spiritually inactive. Say that again. Sloth is defined as spiritual or emotional apathy. You can be the busiest person in the world, but yet you can still be slothful. You can work 60 hours a week, but yet you can neglect your family neglect your friends, neglect your spiritual life, neglect what God has spoken into your life, and you can come under the deadly sin of sloth. I want to show you this morning how sloth first came into this world. And so if you want to open your Bibles, go to the very first book in the Bible. It's Genesis, and we're going to look at Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 3 this morning very quickly. And there was a guy called Adam and a girl called Eve, the first man and the first woman ever to live in this world. And they fell into the trap of slothfulness. So Genesis chapter 2, starting at verse 15, this is what happened. God had created the world. He created the heavens, the earth, the, the, the sea, the stars, the land, the trees, all the vegetation. He had created the animals. And then his final creation was something called man. That he says, man has been created in my own image. So human beings were the last thing that God created. And in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15, it says this, the Lord God place the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned, you may freely eat the fruit of the tree in the garden, except the fruit of the, of the tree, uh, sorry, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Then the Lord said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make man a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. Then he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one of them. So here we see that God created man. And God created man for this purpose, to have a relationship with God. So God could have a relationship with man, and man could have a relationship with God. And that is your purpose in life as well. God has created you to have relationship with God, to have friendship with God, to have communion with God, to to speak with God, and God to speak with you. That is what God created you for the purpose. And it's the same for Adam and Eve. God created them to have relationship with himself. However, even though he created them for purpose, often in life, purpose is not enough. Purpose for you may not be enough. If you find your purpose in life, it may not be enough for you in life. So God gives us roles in life. He creates us with a purpose, have a relationship with himself. Then he gives us roles. Some people call it a calling. But, but our calling this morning, roles. God gives us roles. And the role for Adam was this, to be the gardener of a garden called Eden. 
the most beautiful garden in the world. That was Adam's role. You are to keep and be the gardener of this garden. Then God actually gave him a second job. So for those of you who have got two jobs and you feel like, oh, I wish I didn't have two jobs, the most perfect man, you know, before Jesus who ever lived, Adam, he had two jobs as well. So you feel good about yourself. His second job was to name all the animals. So he had his full-time job, which was to keep the garden. And then he was like contracted out to name all the animals. And then God says that I will create for you a helper. And we haven't read it yet, or, but God created Eve to be Adam's helper. Not Adam's slave, not you know, Adam's servant to do with what he wants, but Adam's helper. So for you ladies this morning, you're not slaves, you're not, you know, just you know, some, some, you know, inferior person. You are a helper, which means you come alongside Adam and you help Adam. So we've both got roles, men and women. You know, you were actually created to work. You were created to work. God, from the very beginning, created you to work. Then we'll move down. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 to 7. This is where it all goes pear-shaped for these two. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. The serpent, who was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made, one day asks the woman, did God really say to you, you must not eat the fruit of any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It is only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were open. They suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves to cover themselves. So here, what we've got, we've got the first temptation in life. You've got this serpent who comes up to Eve and she tempts him to eat the fruit of a tree that God said don't eat. Remember, slothfulness is neglecting the spoken word of God. And this is what Eve did. I want to ask you this morning, what do you think Eve was doing? Why was Eve at a place where she could have been tempted. Because Eve stopped working. At that moment, she was not helping Adam. She was not doing what Adam wanted her to do. She had become idle. And in her idleness, she sinned. Then Adam sinned. And the results were amazing. This is what the results were. God found out. God said, Adam, Eve, where are you? And they hid from him. And then God said, because you have sinned against me, this is what's going to happen. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, it says, Then God said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy. And in pain, you will give birth. And you will desire to control your husband, 
but he will rule over you. So because Eve was slothful and she became idle, the result was that ladies' pregnancy hurts. And this was before epidurals or anything like that. And then also on top of that, you want to control your husband, not so all women, but some women do, want to control your husband, but your husband is going to control you. And look how many problems we've had in marriages in our culture today. Just because of that, one wants to control the other. It's all because it started with the slothfulness of Eve. Then verse 17 of chapter 3, it says, And then God said to the man, Since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree, whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grain. By the sweat of your brow you will have food to eat, until you return to the ground from which you were made, for you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. So for guys... This morning, if you hate your job, if you hate work, it's because there was a moment of slothfulness where we stopped doing what God had designed these people to do and they neglected the spoken word of God. The result of this slothfulness was this, pain and dissatisfaction in life. Pain and dissatisfaction in life. The woman would be dissatisfied in her role. The man would hate his role. And this is the type of damage that slothfulness can do. So what happened? Adam and Eve became inactive in their roles that God had given them. They become apathetic towards the spoken word of God. You know, slothfulness isn't about lazy days. Lazy, I like lazy days. It's about not doing what God has called you to do. I said you can be the busiest person in the world, yet slothfulness can destroy your life. So if that's the case, if perfect human beings like Adam and Eve can become slothful, then I want to know how we can fight against slothfulness. Because if it tempted them then it's definitely going to tempt us. So this morning, I just want to give you four ways that we can overcome slothfulness in our lives, that we can win against this deadly sin called sloth. And the very first thing I want to share with you this morning is this, perfect excellence in all things. Perfect excellence in all things. You know, my dad used to say to me, Alexander, and that's what he calls me, like deep voice, Alexander. He said, what did he say? Remember. <laughs> he said this. He says, when you do a job, do it properly. When you do a job, do it properly. Because I was always do a half job, you know, here and there. My very first attempt at woodwork, you know, carpentry, was this birdhouse. So proud of this birdhouse. But the reality was, was the gaps between the slaps of wood that were supposed to be coming were bigger than the hole that the, the birds were supposed to go in. It was awful. I mean, I look back on that thing and I'm ashamed that I created that. You know why? Because I wanted to be the first one in my woodwork class to finish. So I did it as quick as I could. And I think we put it outside. I think the first winner came and it like collapsed. Like there was like baby birds and they like died. No, so no not really. But, but my dad used to say, if you do a job, do it properly. You know, his words weren't just lessons for life, but they were spiritual lessons as well. You know, Adam's job was this, 
keep the garden and perfect it. Keep the garden and perfect it. For those of you who, you know, you, you do yard work, you know that you can go one week and you can make it beautiful. Two weeks later, that thing is looking atrocious. You know that you have to keep working and working and working. And I believe that in the way that we overcome this temptation of sloth is to perfect excellence in all things. So last week, last Sunday, we got some family in town. And let me introduce you to them. Chris and Sally, they're here on the front row. They're from England. And uh, they're old son, Micah. If you want to hear a proper British accent, just ask Micah to talk. It's like, great. Like, even me, I'm like, talk, talk. You know, like, say something. And uh, just because it's great. And uh, I become American like that, you know. But so last week, we're getting ready for the house to come. And I'm doing laundry. And so we're doing stuff. And our, our washing machine I've never had a washing machine like it before. It's got a pipe that doesn't go outside, but it goes into a utility sink, right? And it's like an old one. It goes into a utility sink. All the water goes into the utility sink. So the very first time I used it, we'd been painting um, and everything. This was like a year ago. I left a rag in the utility sink. We walked into the utility room. and It's like squash, squash, squash. My wife was mad with me, you know, and I'm like, okay, honey, I made a mistake. I'm sorry. I won't do it again. Two weeks later, I leave another rag in there and squash, squash, squash. I mean, we're just like constantly doing this. So I haven't done it for a long, long time. I know to check the sink. And so we had been painting again this last week. And I knew I'd left something in there. I just went and grabbed it and pulled it out. What I didn't know is my wife had left something in there. And Sunday night, I, I need to go and cut the grass. Sun's going down, and we have all this stuff. And I go in, and it's like squash, squash, squash again. I'm trying to blame her because she left the rag, but then she's blaming me. And so she has to go and do a ton of stuff. And this is when you, like, you know that someone's just been so truthful with you. So we start clearing up, and she's getting like, a little annoyed with me because it's the third time. She's like, once I forgive, two is stupid, three, you're just an idiot, you know? And so she says to me, she says, we got to clear it up. So we got the wet vac, we got towels trying to clear everything up. And I say to her, just go. You need to go and get and do what you do. I'll clear it up. And this is what she says to me. She says, no, because I know you're not going to do it properly. You're just going to be quick at it. And I'm like, oh, man, you sound like my dad. But the truth is, I probably would have. I'd have been just like, I have to go and do stuff. You know, just get like the surface water off. If it's all up the walls, well, you know, let the mold grow. You know, but she wanted to, to make sure it was done properly. And that's how we get away from slothfulness, is that we perfect excellence in all things. We just don't do a quick job. We don't just do a quick thing, like just do it and get it out of the way. And even the Proverbs, you know, give us some insight into this. Proverbs verse, uh, chapter 10 and verse 4 says this. It says, lazy people are soon poor. But rich people or rich workers or hard, sorry, or hard workers get rich. There is a difference between doing something quick just to get it out of the way and doing it right. If you go and get a piece of furniture, you want to know that somebody has spent time making that furniture. Not just got some wood glue and put it together. You take it home and it falls to bits. 
We want the best in life, and that means we have to put the best in. Then Proverbs uh, chapter 18 and verse 9 says this. It says, a lazy person is as bad as someone who destroys things. Or another version is a slack person is as bad as someone who destroys things. And the Proverbs describes sloth as someone who is slack. And I ask you today, is sloth taking hold of your life? What are you being slack in? What are you being slack in? Maybe it's in your day job. Maybe you just go to work and you don't give your best because all you want to do is just pick up your paycheck. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe you are going through the motions and you're not giving your best to your spouse. Maybe you're not pursuing excellence in your parenting. Maybe the TV or the iPad is way too convenient for you. You just stick it in front of your kids instead of parenting your kids and being with your kids. What are you being slacking in your life? When you do a job, when you act in your God-given role, are you slack or do you pursue excellence? And I encourage you, pursue excellence. It doesn't mean that you have to be the best person. It just means you give your best. And that will stop slothfulness coming into your life. The second thing, the way that we stop slothfulness in our lives is we need to think of tomorrow, but also enjoy today. Think of tomorrow, but also enjoy today. You know, the sloth thinks about today and what pleasures them today. The sloth will know that they have work to do, but instead they'll take a nap. The sloth will go to do the laundry and will just do it quick without checking what the consequences of a flood could do in your utility room. One of my favorite scriptures in the Bible, I love it because it's just so descriptive. It's Proverbs uh, chapter 6, starting at verse 6. And this is what it said. It says, take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. You love it. The Bible's corners lazy bones. It says, learn from their ways and become wise. Though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work. Sounds like our country at the moment, right? You know? (laughs) They labor hard all summer, gathering food for the winter. But you lazy bones, how long will you sleep? When will you wake up? A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of of the hands to rest. Then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. So the the writer of the Proverbs here says, take a lesson from the ants. The ants think about tomorrow. All summer, if you've been out in your yard, you may see ants all summer gathering food for the winter. And I tell you today, don't let the pull of today stop you from planning tomorrow. Don't let the pull of today stop you from planning tomorrow. Because the sloth, the person who doesn't think about tomorrow, just enjoys today, fails to plan. And the proverb says the result is poverty. The result is that you'll lose things. 
And I believe this morning that God has a future for every one of you. God has a plan for every one of you. I believe that God has planned your tomorrow. And I believe that God wants you to walk in that plan. But unless we push aside the pleasures of today, then tomorrow is going to be one of poverty. And you may never walk in those purposes that God has for you, those plans that God has for you. For you, If we're thinking about today, 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 tomorrow is going to come and it's going to surprise us. The sloth thinks about tomorrow. And I ask you today, how are you preparing for tomorrow? Just very tangible this morning. And this is stuff that I'm thinking about in my life. I got to this point in my life where now I'm no longer thinking I've got the rest of my life ahead of me. Now I'm thinking, okay... Time's starting to tick, you know? Gray hairs are starting to come, and I'm thinking about my future. and thinking, how, how are you planning for retirement? How are you planning for your kid's future? How are you planning for tomorrow? And that's the way that we overcome slothfulness in our lives. We think about tomorrow, but we enjoy today. Number three this morning, the way that we overcome slothfulness in our lives is we become self-sustaining, self-sustaining. You know, the problem for so many people in life is that we want life to be offered on a plate instead of working hard. You know, we work in a cult, we live in a culture where we have a generation that is growing up and they really have an attitude of entitlement. They think that they should be offered something and be given something. You know, when, 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 I, was, when I was younger, I, uh, I got to 17, and I passed my driving test, and I went out, well, actually, it was 18, because I was at university, and I got a student loan, and I got my student loan, and I bought a car with my student loan. I mean, that was just thinking of today, not tomorrow. But so I went and got my own car, and I was like 30 years old, and I finally paid that car off, that stinking little car. But I got this car, and this is what my dad said to me. I paid for my own car, my own insurance. My dad said, son, he says, I'm not going to let you drive that thing on your own for a month. Everywhere you go, I'm going to drive. I'm going to come with you. And he said that because he said I wasn't ready to drive. But I remember growing up, everything we had to pay for ourselves, do ourselves. And I watch kids now, and kids just get everything to them, given to them. Not every kid, but a lot of kids do. And you know what? It's not the kid's fault. It's not the kid's fault. It's our fault. Do you know why? Because we, uh, we're a generation that we want to give the best to our kids. But you know what? We've forgotten to teach them. We forgot to teach them how to be self-sustaining in their lives. This is what Acts says. Acts chapter 20. A guy called the Apostle Paul who basically looked after himself and he didn't let other people provide for him. It's what he says in Acts chapter 20 and verse 34. He says, you know that these hands of mine have worked to supply my own needs and even the needs of those who are with me. And I've been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than receive. So you've got this guy, the Apostle Paul, who believed in working hard so that he didn't have to take from other people. 
and what he believed, he wanted to work hard so he could give to others. Because it was more blessed to give than receive. You know, when we started this church about three years ago, we started with very little money and, you know, not much support and things like that. But from day one, we became what we call self-sustaining, which means we didn't rely on other people to fund us or anything like that. I mean, it was a miracle. It really was. God was just totally in it. But the experts who talk about, like, starting new churches say that if you are not self-sustaining within 18 months, then that church is probably going to fail. Because a lot of churches will have support from other churches. They'll fund them. You know, they'll give them money to get them started and things like that. If they're not fully funded by 18 months, then they'll fail. And that's the same for our lives as well. Some of us, we've grown up taking handouts when we should be working to give to others. It's more blessed to give than receive. And if you want to be someone who is blessed, you need to give. And if you want to give, you need to be self-sustaining. You can't just take, take, take from others. Self-sustaining. The last thing this morning, before we close, is we must pursue excellence in all things. We must think about tomorrow, but enjoy today. We must become self-sustaining. And then the last way that the Bible teaches us that we should overcome slothfulness in our lives is we need to keep our fingers moving. We need to keep our hands moving. You know, there's an old proverb that my parents used to tell me. They used to say, idle hands are the devil's workshop. Idle hands are the devil's workshop. Meaning this, temptation will be more severe with idle hands. You know, in the war against temptation, you need to keep your hands moving. Don't let your hands become idle. That's what Eve did. She became idle and temptation came in. You know, anything that stops moving for an extended period of time becomes harder to start as time goes on. If you've got a car and you leave it in the driveway for six months to a year without starting that car and you go to start it, it's probably not going to start. Because the longer you leave things, the harder it is to start. And when we stop working in life, when we become idle, then idleness can get you into trouble. Guys, just be very honest with you today. When you're in front of the TV late at night and you just become idle, you're flipping from channel to channel, the temptation of what we're going to talk about lust next week can really enter in. And that's how it all starts. When you're just being idle, when, when you're not doing anything, you're not working at all. This is what the Proverbs say in Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 25. It tells us, despite their desires, the lazy will come to ruins or the slack will come to ruins for their hands Refuse to work. When your hands stop, you become someone who is in danger of being in ruins. And then 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians is in the New Testament. Chapter 3 and verse 11. It says this. It says, yet we hear that some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work, meddling in other people's business. We command such people and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus to settle down and work to earn their own living. 
That's for the rest of you, dear brothers and sisters. Never get tired of doing good. I ask you this, what good has watching hours of TV ever come to? What good has playing hours of video games ever come to? What good has spending hours on Facebook or Twitter ever done any good for? When you find your hands becoming idle, I want to be very practical with you today. When you find your hands becoming idle, then go fix something. Go fix something. Go clean something. Go cook something. And then invite me over. Go call somebody. Go read something. Keep your hands moving. For when your hands stop and become idle, then temptation will come in. Most people who have done things that they would be ashamed of in their lives, most of the time it's come because they became idle. They became idle. When our focus is on good things, temptation doesn't have room to come in. You know, there's a difference this morning between slothfulness and rest. Rest is needed. We all need rest. However, rest is this. Rest is the action of recharging. So we one of the guys in the church, Brian, a couple of weeks ago, talking about eating because he's just a machine when it comes to knowing what to eat and what not to eat. This is what he said. He says, food should be fuel. Food should be full. I'm not sure if I agree with everything because, man, that chocolate cake is just so nice. But food should be fuel. It shouldn't be just, you know, to eat and eat. It should be fuel so that you can do what God has called you to do. Rest is exactly the same. Rest isn't something to spend our days resting. Rest is an action. It's a doing word, and it's a recharging action. It's to recharge our batteries. God commands us to rest. He commands us to take a Sabbath day. It's one of the Ten Commandments. But you know what? I think we live in a culture when we don't know how to rest. I think our culture doesn't know how to recharge. This is what we do. We work to the bone, then we burn out. We lounge thinking that we're resting, but instead we're crashing. Laziness will always lead to fatigue. Rest will lead to energy in life. So the way that we overcome that this morning, take your rest. If you feel that you're flagging, take your rest. But in everything, pursue excellence. Think about tomorrow while enjoying today. Aim to be self-sufficient and then keep your hands moving. And then watch how you will find incredible purpose in life and you will start to enjoy the role that God has given you and you'll start to see wonderful things that God has for you because the temptation of slothfulness has no room to come in at all. Let's bow our heads in prayer this morning.